Good morning, Centerway Church, and Merry Christmas. I'm Eric, and we are so thankful to be gathering with you online this morning. Welcome to all of you. Whether you're on the Sunday morning live platform or you're watching or listening to this later on in the week, we are so glad that you're choosing to spend time with us. I want to take a moment to acknowledge those of you joining us for the first time. We know that there are challenges to gathering online as a guest, but we trust that even online, you have a sense of who we are and feel at home here. We'd like to make your first visit a little easier, so I'm gonna run through some information that we trust will help you and everyone else know a little bit about what to expect today. If you're gathered live on Sunday morning, check out the tabs on the online platform. You can share or update your information. You can give to take next steps, find previous messages, and share this message. You can also ask questions or request prayer right on the live platform. And one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're watching or listening to this message later, you can do those things through our website. If there's any way that we can serve you, if we can answer any questions, or if you have feedback, please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. And that goes for anyone out there, not just our guests. Questions, feedback, in need of prayer, reach out and let us know. Our website has information and resources to help you. There are opportunities for you to go deeper into scripture that we're studying, like devotionals that you can subscribe to. If you have kids, there's messages just for them. Uh, we go from the same scripture text that we do so that you can discuss it with them and grow as a family. There are two main places in our website to find those resources and more. Uh, the messages page and the next steps page. Now, I'm sure that you are well aware that Christmas is this week. And in just a couple days, we cannot wait to celebrate with a special online Christmas gathering. It'll be on Wednesday, December 23rd at 7 p.m. We'll host it on the live platform, just like a Sunday morning gathering, so that you can chat with each other, you can request prayer, etc. Uh, it'll be an evening of music, teaching, and celebrating uh, that God has gathered near to us. You can link to that gathering from the homepage of our website, and we can't wait to be together online. Now, here's what to expect today. Sandra will be reading the scripture text uh, for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible. And then you'll have, uh, here's some ways to respond in worship. Immediately after the message, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now, here's Sandra with a text for today. Hey, good morning. My name is Sandra, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, 
immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Hello and welcome to Centerway Church and uh, Merry Christmas to you as we head into Christmas week. My name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. Very excited that you have the opportunity to be with us as we continue in our series, Disrupted. Uh, This morning's message is entitled Expectation. And so Disrupted Expectation. As we conclude uh, the Gospel of Mark chapter 5 this morning, uh, we kind of have the gift of a whole picture. So we kind of know the end of the story. And so as we hear the, the reading that we just heard, it's kind of easy to just sort of move through it because we know these miraculous things are about to happen. Um, But I want to kind of go on a journey with you um, today, kind of dismissing what it is that we know already and sort of experiencing the text as the people that were in the midst of living it were experiencing it. And so I kind of want to have your mindset wrapped around that as we head into this morning's text. Uh, As I was thinking a little bit about expectation, there's a lot of different times in my life that I considered uh, expectations, uh, all types of ways, times that my expectations were let down, sometimes my expectations were exceeded. And uh, there's one thing that really kind of stands out above all of it. And that was my last uh, baseball game. Uh, I was a senior in college. I had uh, was playing baseball and I had an, a rotator cuff injury. And ironically, my rotator cuff is currently bothering me. So um, I had a, a rotator cuff injury. And so I was kind of sidelined. It was hit and miss most of that season. And my last game, um, I was actually sitting out because I was just in a lot of pain. And uh, I remember uh, my fiance was there to watch and uh, she wasn't able to make all the games all the time. So I was super excited that she was there and I was a little bit disappointed that I wasn't able to to play. And so the game's kind of going on and we are now down by one and we end up with a, uh, a batter that walks. And so he's on first. 
And so I'm sitting there and the coach comes over and says, uh, Hey, you think you got one more in, at bat in you? And I was like, what? And he goes, you feel well enough to bat? Like we, we need to get a run. And I was like, yeah, I'm up for it. And he goes, all right, grab your bat. And so here it is like my last senior at bat, the last game of the season, bottom of the ninth, there's two outs. We're down by one. There's a runner on first, like, this is it. This is like why you go to movies, you know, <laughs> like this is a moment. Even if you don't care about baseball, this has a moment in the making, right? And so I get up to bat and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm really excited. I've been watching this pitcher pitch and I know exactly how he sets people up. And so sure enough, his first pitch, he comes in high and tight on me and I step out of the box and it's a ball. I know I'm going to use some language that if you don't know anything about baseball, you're gonna be like, I don't know what you're saying. It'll make sense. But trust me, he, he throws close to me and high. And so I step out of the box. Now that is the way for the entire game that he's been setting up to throw his curveball next. Okay. So a curveball from a right-hander comes in tight and then drops right at the last minute. And so he does that in order to set somebody up to, to step out when his breaking ball is coming, his curveball. And so I realize, oh my gosh, this is it. He's going to throw his curveball and I am going to smash this thing. And so I am just ecstatic. I'm getting ready for this pitch and the guy on first takes a big league, a big lead. And uh, as he takes this big lead, the pitcher looks at him, steps off the, the rubber, which is the, the name of the thing that you stand on when you pitch. He steps off of it. And so uh, the runner walks back towards first and the pitcher throws the ball over just to kind of check him. And so I'm not worried about it. All right, this is fine. Get back in my stance, and he looks over at him again, takes a rather large lead. I'm thinking, what is he doing? Like, he doesn't have the sign to steal. There's no reason for him to have a lead that far. And so all of a sudden, pitcher throws back to him. He goes back. No big deal. I'm like, are you guys playing catch or what? Pitch the ball. I know what it's going to be. This is my moment, you know? And so I, I step out of the batter's box, kind of set myself, ready. He sets up. Guy on first starts to wander off first again looks down at his cleat, bends over, and starts doing something with his shoe. And I'm looking at him like, what in the world is happening? Because I see the pitcher look and look again. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> What's going on? And so all of a sudden, the pitcher moves quick, throws. The guy's caught in no man's land, tries to dive back towards first, and he gets thrown out. That was my last at bat. <laughs> My last at bat in college was watching the guy on first get thrown out for too big of a lead. I was devastated. I knew what the next pitch was going to be like it hit all played out in my mind. Like that's not the way this is supposed to end. He's called out game over. I'm like stunned. The guy felt terrible. In fact, maybe he's even watching today, so I won't use his name, but I was just, I was devastated. I was in shock. I couldn't believe it. Like all my expectations let down in a moment. Now, it's a silly game. It's not like I relive it or anything like that. It just came to mind when I was thinking about expectations being disrupted. Expectations being disrupted. So the question I want to ask you as we move into the text this morning is why can a lack of focus be so frustrating? Why can a lack of focus be so frustrating? If he would have just been focused, like if he had just been in the moment, there's no way he gets caught and gets thrown out. Just have some focus, man. That's all I was thinking in my mind. I want to submit to you that a lack of focus can be frustrating. <laughs> I said that weird, be frustrating. <laughs> a lack of focus can be frustrating because as humans, 
we have an idea how we want things to work out. Now, whether you're a goal-driven person or not, at the very least, you have a preferred outcome in most scenarios. In fact, in any given situation, you have a preference on how this plays out. As humans, Christian or not, and I realize we have all different types of people logging in at different points in their spiritual journey, this is a vision of how you expect life to go. Is it Christian or not? This idea, this idea or expectation that we set our mind to, and maybe in some cases we even set our hearts on. And so anything that jeopardizes kind of that ideal, it only serves to frustrate us at best, right? We get disappointed, we get let down, like we thought it was going to go this way. And then somebody else lacks the focus necessary and jeopardizes our ideal. It is uniquely frustrating when it seems like our desired outcome is right there. It's on the horizon. Like, like we can see it. We can, we can almost taste it. You know what I'm talking about. But those involved, the other people, the X factor, right? They seem to lack the focus necessary to get the job done. As long as, as no one messes up, this is going to work out exactly the way I expect. Only to see someone lack the focus necessary. Now, we know what we want done. And in fact, most times we even have a time frame associated with whatever it is that we want to see accomplished. But I, we, or they, right, lack the focus necessary to kind of see it through. It's so incredibly frustrating. This is exactly the tension that Mark is talking about in today's section of scripture. And so let's jump in it because we're going to move through actually quite a bit of the text so that we can walk along and experience this journey together, as I mentioned. Verses 22 through 23 says this, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. So just to set this up a little bit, you know, Jesus is, uh, there was such a, a great crowd that he actually went across this lake. In the midst of this lake, he experiences this storm that Eric talked about a couple weeks back. And then as he gets to that other side, he has this encounter with this demoniac and this incredible situation. And then they get back in the boat and now they're headed back to where they originally came from. So, so they're right back on that original location and it says that they came, uh, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, uh, Jairus. He actually is mentioned by name, which is pretty unique. So Jairus, by name and seeing him, meaning Jesus, seeing Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet and implored him earnestly, begged him, saying, my little girl, my little daughter, I don't know why I said girl, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Okay, so we have this picture, this picture of this ruler of the synagogue. Now, a lot is happening in these two verses. The first thing we need to realize is that this prominent man um, is very important in this community. He's prominent. He's one of the rulers of the synagogue. Now, that might not make a lot of sense uh, to you in modern language, but it means that he's an administrator of the synagogue, the place where all the Jewish people would come to worship and encounter God. And so his role is extremely important. He cares for the physical structure of the synagogue. He sets up the worship time. In fact, he even cares for the precious scrolls. And so he's a very important man. He's well known in the community. 
it's important to understand because um, it would mean a couple of critical things. It would mean that he is, as I already mentioned, well-known. It also would mean that he's very well-respected and that he's wealthy. This guy's an important dude. It helps us to understand the situation more as we go on, but it'll also help us understand sort of what he's risking at this point in the story. You see, he's publicly aligning himself with Jesus. He goes up and begs that Jesus would intervene in his situation. He's literally publicly aligning himself with Jesus, who is a very, very controversial figure, especially in the synagogue. If you've been following with us in this journey, you realize at this point there are those in the synagogue that are starting to actually plan his death. And so for this administrator of the synagogue to come up and to align himself publicly with Jesus is a very, very big deal. A couple of other things that we need to realize. The language that he uses, he goes up and says, my daughter's at the point of death, point of death. In the original language, in the Greek, it doesn't mean my daughter might die. It doesn't mean that. In fact, it doesn't even mean, hey, my daughter's really sick and we're scared. No, it means my daughter is about to die. It means her death is imminent. It's going to happen. So he comes to Jesus realizing, my daughter is at death's door. There's there's huge amount of urgency here. Huge amount of urgency. So we have desperation, right? He's very desperate. In fact, he risks it all. He risks his reputation coupled with urgency. And what does he do? He goes to Jesus and he communicates his expectation. Isn't that interesting? Like, He doesn't say, my daughter's going to die. Come heal her. He doesn't say that. He gives a very specific expectation. He says, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. Jesus, this is what I want you to do. (laughs) Doesn't that sound familiar? Like it kind of resonates. God, don't just help me. Help me like this. This is the way I picture it. My expectation is this. This is how I want it to go. Okay, so what happens? Jesus agrees. He says, okay. And so they start to push through this crowd. It's a a huge crowd. And so they start to push through this crowd. And now someone else enters this account. We pick up her story at verse 25. Verse 25, it says, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Hmm. Okay, so what do we know about this person? She's a woman, and she's a woman in a sexist society that's dominated by males. It's just the way it is. She has a disease that involves a discharge of blood. Now, that seems like an unnecessary gruesome detail, (laughs) unless you understand Levitical law, which is what they functioned according to. You see, because of her sickness and the fact that it involves blood, it would mean that she would be considered unclean. And because she would be considered unclean, it means that she would not be allowed to attend synagogue. She would be socially and actually even spiritually an outcast. In fact, in that day, if you had a disease like this that lasted this long, the assumption would be that you were actually cursed by God, that you couldn't overcome this physical ailment because there was some type of curse that God had bestowed upon you. So she is completely ostracized. And the text says that she has tried everything that society has to offer, essentially. And it also says that she has spent all that she had. 
So that means she's poor. So we have a woman that's an outcast in society that's poor. She's the lowest of the low. She's desperate. And she too has an expectation of how she'd be healed. Isn't that interesting? It's like a human condition. Let's read verse 28. Verse 28 says this, For she said, so she says it to herself, For she said, If I can even touch his garments, I will be made well. That's her expectation. If I could just touch his clothing, he'll heal me. Just secretly touch his clothes, I'll be good, and I'll go on my way. She does. And she's healed physically. It worked. <laughs> like, it worked. It actually happened. And, and so what happens next after she, you know, kind of communicates this secret expectation, goes through the process, experiences exactly what she was hoping for, Jesus stops. He stops. She's got to be like, oh no. In verse 30, it picks up and it says this, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? <laughs> Who touched my garments? Jairus had to be like, Who cares? <laughs> right? I mean, you got to remember that's running parallel to the story is that Jairus is leading him to his home. His daughter's death is imminent. He has a need to get Jesus there ASAP. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops and says, who touched my garment? He's going to be like, everybody? This is a crowd? I don't understand. Who really cares? Let's keep moving. My daughter is in imminent danger. Let's go. In fact, even the disciples are confused by the question. And they even say so in verse 31. It says, and his disciples, Jesus' disciples said to him, uh, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? In other words, what are you talking about, Jesus? Everybody is touching you. I don't understand the point. Now get this. Something critical is happening. And if you're not careful, you might miss it. Jesus knew who touched him. Right? I mean, does he really need to ask who just touched me? We're talking about Jesus, the man who perceived people's thoughts and then said, you are thinking this. We're talking about the man that, that is speaking into the hearts and lives of people. He is God on earth. He knows who touched him? Why is he asking? Why in the world is he asking? Jesus is calling her to risk outing herself publicly. He knew her expectation. You're going to come and get a, a secret healing the way you want and then go off? No. You need to risk outing yourself publicly. So who is it? that touched me. But that's, that's not how she envisioned this going, right? She had gotten her healing. She's got to be thinking, I got what I wanted. Just stay focused, Jesus. Keep on moving. And Jairus has got to be thinking, Jesus, let's just stay focused. Let's keep moving. Literally, everybody is saying, Jesus, just keep moving. His disciples are saying, why are you stopping? I don't understand. Like everyone is saying, stay focused, Jesus. And yet, God is not willing to move from where he is. But God, this isn't how I planned it. She's got to be whispering to herself. 
Jesus, you're going to ruin this healing. You're going to wreck what I experienced just now by calling me out publicly because I'm a poor woman that's unclean. That's what's going on in the heart and mind of, of this woman. It's like she's almost reminding Jesus in her thoughts, like, I can't be called out like this. You're going to ruin everything. You see, she's not allowed in crowds. According to Levitical law, she's not allowed to be there. She's certainly not allowed to touch a rabbi's clothing. In fact, there were specific consequences for doing such a thing. And she would make that rabbi unclean by touching him. You see, once again, Jesus is saying, I'm not affected by this world. You won't make me unclean. I will clean that which is unclean. How do I know this? How do I know that that's what's happening in her head? How could I possibly know that? Like, that seems like a whole lot of conjecture, right? I know because it says that she was afraid. She was afraid because the crowd would be within their rights to beat her. Literally, according to law, they could beat her. And if she died as a result of her beating, no one would be affected by that. She would deserve what she got. She was breaking the law. Verse 33 says, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. That's why she's afraid. She wasn't supposed to do that. She's not supposed to be there. And fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She just confesses the whole thing. This is incredible. You can exercise faith even when you're afraid. Think about that for a second. You can exercise faith even when you're afraid. How do I know that, you know, you can exercise faith when you're afraid? Well, verse 34 says, And he said to her, and Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Fear and trembling, she goes to Jesus. Jesus, this isn't how I expected it to go. I thought I'd get my healing and leave, and yet you're calling me out. Fine, I'm going to risk it. And as much as I'm afraid, I'm still going to move according to faith. I'm going to trust you right now. I'm going to come forward and tell you the truth. And what does he do? He calls her daughter. He calls her daughter. And then he says, you'll be healed? Isn't she already healed? Like, it doesn't... It doesn't make sense. Like, it literally says in the verses prior that she experienced her, feet, her healing, that she knew in her body that she was made well. So why is Jesus now saying that she'll be healed? She wasn't healed completely. Now, don't jump off of a weird cliff there and be like, hang on a second. You mean there wasn't a complete healing? We can have incomplete healings? No, hear me out. Get this. She wanted a physical healing. But Jesus publicly declares her clean. And in the moment of publicly declaring her clean, he heals her socially and spiritually. 
She gets a holistic healing. She had the expectation of a physical healing. And Jesus says, if you have the faith to come out before me right now, if you'll risk outing yourself, I have a greater thing in store than even your expectations. You think I'm ruining things, but I'm giving you something that you couldn't even know where to begin to ask for. And in a moment, in a moment, not only is she physically healed, but before the entire community, she is socially declared clean. And suddenly she can worship in the synagogue. Spiritually, she is healed. There is a ripple effect of the healing that's taking place in her. Why? Because Jesus disrupted her expectation. He disrupts her entire expectation. And it changes everything for the good. It's incredible. It's incredible disrupted in the most wonderful of ways. Why? Because she risked faith in Jesus. She risked it. If she would have given in to fear and stuck to how she envisioned this, and she would have just white-knuckled, held on to her healing, I got what I wanted from Jesus, then she would have missed it. I don't think you know God would take away her physical healing. But she wouldn't have experienced the fullness of what Jesus had in store. You see, we have such a limited perspective. We just want what we want. And we even have a way of how it should work out. God, this is what I want. I'm just going to touch your clothes. You're going to heal me. We're good. I'm out. Sorry to bother you. What do you mean you want me to come forward? You see, we all have faith in something. She had faith in Jesus while being afraid and uncomfortable. We all have faith in something. We do. I've been hiking several times. I'd I'd like to eventually hike all 46 of the the high peaks in New York, which are any uh, mountain that is above 4,000 feet. I'd love to do that. I'm at 30 right now. I have 16 more to go. There's endless stories of ridiculous moments where I've climbed really steep areas where it's been really slick or it's been even dangerous. And there was one time in particular in my most recent hike where it was like almost straight up, like just a rock face, almost entirely straight up. And it was raining. It was wet. The rocks were wet. And I remember kind of crawling up this side of where the trail kind of goes up to the side and I'm slipping a little bit and I look and there's this big tree. And I just think if I can just get to that tree, if I can just hold that tree for a second, I can get my footing and I'll be all right. And so I kind of risk everything and reach up and I grab this thing. And as I do, all of its root structure goes to the right across this rock. There's no depth to its roots. And so as I grab it, it just rolls towards me. And my feet slide and I think, oh my gosh, it's like not anything I expected. I had so much faith in this stupid tree and it entirely let me down. And as I'm kind of scrambling, I look over and there's this little shrub. (laughs) And the shrub looks like it kind of has its roots going down into the, the rock structure in between these two rocks. And so I grab this shrub and I'm like, sweet little shrub, Allow your roots to be strong and deep. I love you, shrub. Love me back. And so I I hold on to the shrub, and sure enough, I'm able to get my footing and continue on this hike. I I just mentioned that because the reality is we, we have this expectation of what is supposed to give us stability, what it is we think we can put our faith in, what we think we can put our hope in, and almost all the time, it underdelivers. And in the most unexpected ways, We're able to get our footing, 
but it's, it's not because of a stupid shrub. It's because of the person and work of Jesus. He never fails us. He never lets us down. And yet we continually reach for what we think will give us more strength, what we think will give us a better footing. You see, we all have faith in something. But faith is only as good as its object. Think about that for a second. Faith is only as good as its object. If we all have faith in something, if you put your faith in the wrong thing, it's going to let you down. So what or who is your faith in? Who or what do you really trust? When you're in that moment of life where it feels like everything is is coming apart, you're sliding down, like it feels like your life is in the balance and you're just reaching for anything, what is it that you really put your trust in? Who do you really put your trust in? Because I'll tell you what, it's going to come as a surprise. But sometimes things don't go as we expect. (laughs) Right? And especially now in this holiday season, I know that the holidays can be so, so painful, so disruptive for some of us, whether we find ourselves in a place where we're alone or whether we're mourning the loss of a loved one, regardless of what it is, we can find ourselves in a place where we're just grasping for any sense of stability. And it would be God that would say, trust in me. Yeah, but things didn't go the way expected. I thought I'd be in a different place this year. It wasn't supposed to go this way. That person was supposed to be with me. This this isn't how I expected things to go. But God is saying, do you trust me? I mean, what else can you trust in? Verse 35 says this, while he was still speaking to this woman. And you could just imagine The crowd is literally cheering for her, right? Like she is clean. She's got to be weeping and in disbelief of what it is that God has done. And while he's still speaking, while Jesus is still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? In the midst of this woman getting the healing of a lifetime, Jairus gets the gut punch of a lifetime. I can't even begin to imagine as he just, he just stands there. He's got to be thinking, Jesus, if you would have just stayed focused, like we weren't that far. You said you'd come like, Jairus has no reason to believe that this story isn't over for him. And so he's got to be looking and like, He let me down. Yay for her. I'm so happy for this woman. She got what she wanted from Jesus, right? Because here's the deal. We treat God like some creepy Santa Claus. Like, you got what you wanted. Why didn't I get what I wanted? I mean, I made a list. Didn't he read it and check it twice? Was I naughty or was I nice? Like, literally, that's what we have boiled down a relationship to God with is this, this religious idea of if I earn it, if I'm nice enough, then God will give me the, the wish list of my life. So she got her healing, but at the expense of my daughter's life. It's what he's got to be thinking. This whole situation 
is so confusing. It's more confusing than maybe you and I can understand because in their society, Jairus matters. He's important. He's a man. He's an influential man. He's a wealthy man. He matters. This woman, this unnamed woman, doesn't matter. She's poor. She's a woman. She's unclean. Nothing makes sense about this. It's sad, but it's the horrible truth. This man matters and she doesn't. What's worse is the only thing that's different, that makes their health situation different, is urgency. That's it. His daughter is on a timeline. When he comes up, he says she's dying. Right now, she's dying. Urgent. This woman has a chronic disease. There's no hurry here. She's lived with this for 12 years. She'll, she'll live for it another, like, hour? Come on, my daughter is dying. She can get her healing, like, an hour from now, right? I mean, she's willing to wait. Are you willing to wait? She'd have been like, yeah, I'll wait from now. Are you kidding me? This is a deal of a lifetime, right? So there is no earthly reason for Jesus to do what he does. On every level, for every earthly reason, Jesus shouldn't have allowed himself to be distracted. He shouldn't allowed himself to be disrupted. He should have kept focus. Unless unless, unless he wasn't disrupted at all, unless he has focus all along and we just don't understand, unless all he wants is for us to live our lives disrupted. You see, one more time, he's showing us that our worldly systems and our values are totally different than the kingdom of God. That in fact, she does matter. She matters as much as this man and as much as this girl. She matters and he knows what she doesn't. He knows what the crowd doesn't know. Jesus knows what no one understands. His ways are higher than our ways. That's not just a cliche. God has a perspective that we simply don't have. And meanwhile, we have these these stories of these people that are dictating their conditions for healing the way they want it to play out. And Jesus just continually, continually changes their expectations. I want to tell you, if she matters and he knows what they don't, then you matter. And he knows what you don't. You matter. God cares so deeply about who you are, about the pain of your life, about about the hurt. You are not alone. God says that he will stick closer to you than a brother. He will never leave you or forsake you. God has not abandoned you. You're not alone. You matter. He knows what you don't. Trust him. Trust him. Easier said than done, right? Super easy to say, hey, trust God right? Can you imagine if somebody would have said that to Jairus? Hey, it's okay. Just trust him. Yeah. Your daughter's dead. This wasn't the plan. This wasn't the way 
It was supposed to work out. He got his hopes up. Jesus said, yes, he's, he's on his way. Verse 36. Exactly what I just articulated comes from the lips of Jesus. But overhearing what he said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Don't fear, only believe. Don't fear. Jesus is looking at him saying, trust me. Why should I trust you now? You said you would come and heal her, but she's dead. Why in the world would I trust you now? You see, again, we have the gift of knowing the whole story, but, but Jairus has never experienced any of this. Jesus is saying, my timing, my will. And he's saying that to us. Jesus, I couldn't trust you to stay focused and to hurry. I told you how serious it was. I said she was going to die. Why in the world would I trust you now? I want to tell you that the same way Jesus was saying to Jairus, my timing, my will, he's saying that to us. God is never bound by our schedule or our expectation. He's never bound by our schedule or our expectation. And you might think, well, this is a great story. I mean, everybody gets what they want, right? Well, bear with me. Because humans wrongly think that urgency equals caring. Urgency equals caring, right? I remember uh, we have three children. I remember the, the first time that uh, my wife went into labor. Meredith was in labor and I was just, you know, so concerned about everything. I didn't know what to expect. As much as you're told what to expect, ultimately, I just, I don't know. This is all new to me. And I, I remember we went into the emergency room there and uh, we're kind of urgent and frantic and we have everything we're supposed to have. And we come in and we're like, she's in labor, she's in labor. And the nurse is like, what's your last name? Like, well, we called. I mean, it's Valdez. She's like, okay, can you spell that for me? I'm like, she's like, I'm like, why is she not hurrying? And so she just takes her ever-loving time. And meanwhile, Meredith is experiencing contractions. I'm thinking, she's going to have the baby on the floor. Like, we're going to be that show. The baby's going to shoot out and be like, don't worry, lady, I got this. You know? And so I'm sitting there thinking, why doesn't anybody care? So we go into a little side room and we wait. I just think, no one, no one is even caring. There's no urgency whatsoever. And her midwives show up and we see one of her midwives and all of a sudden, oh, I have this peace. I have this peace, not because that they aren't urgent, right? It's not like they came in and they're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is urgent. We're nervous. And I'm like, finally, someone who cares. No. In fact, they came in and had zero urgency as well. The difference was I knew them. And so I had a peace because I was confident in their ability, in their competence, in their knowledge. I understood they knew things that I didn't, and I understood that they loved my wife, they cared about us. And so their lack of urgency communicated a form of confidence in peace within me. That's the difference. That's what God is saying. Does God's presence bring you peace in the midst of chaos? Do you trust him? Do you know him well enough to know that he's for you and not against you? That you matter? That, that in the moment of, of your biggest pain or, or your greatest fear, that he's actually 
giving you a peace that passes all understanding? Or are you shaking your fist at God like, come on, some urgency here. What's going on? You see, at this point in the story, Jesus hasn't raised anyone from the dead before. Jairus has no reason to believe that that's even on the table, that he should expect that on any level. In fact, maybe he's thinking that Jesus is going to come and, and comfort them in a unique way. Maybe give some encouraging words to his wife. He has no reason to expect that the story is going to end any different. Until, until verse 39. It says, and when he had entered, this is Jesus entering the home of Jairus. He said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Jairus is like, what? This is the first time that it even enters into his mind that there's a possibility that maybe his daughter will live. In fact, the people that are there that we know, knowing history and understanding the society, is that they're professional mourners. They've, the girl has been dead long enough for the wife to have hired professional mourners, which was typical in that day. And so they're out there mourning and weeping, and they have no skin in the game. So when Jesus says this, they literally laugh. They laugh like they think he's absurd. And Jairus has to think, dare I believe that God is at work to outpace my expectation? Is that possible? I love verse 41. Jesus goes into this little girl's room, about 12 years old. He could have just stood at the doorway and been like, hey, get up. <laughs> he could have declared her healed from where he was. There's a host of things that he can do as God, obviously. But he goes over and he takes her hand. He takes her hand and he says something that is, that is literally translated as honey, get up. It's a, it's a fatherly term that's used to, to wake children from sleep. Come on, honey. It's time to get up. And in a single verse, we are seeing the compassion and power of our Savior. You see, power, he doesn't, he doesn't like roll up his sleeves. He doesn't chant anything. He doesn't say anything specific or special. He simply has so much authority over death that he says, wake up. And she does. Here's the thing that's amazing. He doesn't heal her like someone that's been struggling with a disease and, and she's weak and she's like, she'll get better. Give her a couple days. No, it says that she woke up and she's hungry. She's healed. She's, she's not just not dead. She's alive and well. She's hungry. It's incredible. I want to tell you, the same compassionate and powerful Jesus would endure a cross for our sins. He would take the penalty of our sin. And he would defeat sin and death because he loves you. And you might say, but, but wait, but... I'm still experiencing pain. Like, my loved one is gone. That relationship is over. Like, my story doesn't have a happy ever after. Like, I don't get what I want. Do you see what you're doing, though? Do you see what we're doing? In those moments, we're being deeply human. And we're saying, wait. My expectation is different. It must be nice that they got their healing. What about mine? Why doesn't my story end the way I want it to? 
do we trust him? Do we trust him enough to know that he has a perspective, that he's writing a narrative that we don't understand? You see, because for us, our vision is like this life, this is it. And so if someone dies, then that's the end. But God is looking at eternity and all of the narrative of everything. He has a bigger perspective and he's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's writing a story that we don't understand. But the question is, do we trust him in the midst of it? God, but this hurts and I'm afraid. Do you trust me? But it's different. This isn't what I expected. Do do you trust me? Do you trust the God of heaven who went into death, that took the penalty of your sin, that loved you enough to lay down his life, to have victory over sin, to have victory over death so that we can one day stand victorious, not only in relationship with God because of the victory over sin, but that death would no longer have its sting. Life is beyond this one. There's a greater story being written and God deeply loves you. The God of heaven wants you to know him so well that you have confidence and peace that he's at work on your behalf. Will you trust him? Will you lay down your expectations and trust him? We say every week that the text requires something of us. And of course, this week is no different. The question I want to ask you is this. What fearful situation will I commit to trust Jesus in? What fearful situation will I commit to trust Jesus in? For some of you, as you're listening to this, the the fearful situation is surrendering your life. Surrendering your life and your expectations to Jesus. Would you surrender your life and allow him to be the Lord and leader of your life? Will you stop trying to live life for yourself? If you're willing to take that step, I want to challenge you to pray a prayer that simply involves you admitting that you're a sinner, that Jesus died the death you deserve. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and be the Lord and leader of your life. If you want to begin a relationship with him, if that's the beginning today, it's as simple as that prayer, wherever you find yourself. And I want to encourage you, if you're praying that prayer right now, that you'd click on uh, prayer the prayer link in our live set, and it'll put you in a private chat with one of our hosts so that you can understand the next steps because we don't want this to just be a momentary decision. If you're listening to this later, you can go to our website and look at our next steps, but we want to have a conversation with you so we can walk alongside you in this journey. For others of you that have maybe already surrendered your life, what's the fearful situation you're confronted with? What are the circumstances around this holiday season? Maybe, or maybe it's just around the COVID reality, or I don't pretend to to know what it is that you're going through in the specifics of your life, but I know that God knows and he cares deeply. So what is that situation that you'll commit to trust Jesus in? For others of you that live a, a life that's surrendering continually, to just committing your situations and your circumstances to trust Jesus, even though it's counterintuitive at times and painful? Have you gone the next step? Because we never outpace what it is the text requires of us. And so this morning to you, I would challenge you, what is Jesus asking you to do on mission? What's, what's the fear? If you personally are in a place of knowing God and trusting him, what's the fearful situation of, of risking something? Maybe loving the unlovable, according to society, right? That God desperately cares about. Maybe it means a spiritual conversation or putting your money where your mouth is. Maybe it means a little bit of of a fear-based, faith-filled,
faith-filled decision. I'm going to act on what it is that Jesus is calling me to do. Maybe it's time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you in this time that we, we celebrate your birth. We celebrate your willingness to, to enter the timeline of humanity. Father, I pray that it wouldn't be lost on us, that we would realize the implications that you loved us enough to come to this place, to live the life we can't, to die the death we deserve, and to have ultimate victory over death and sin. And so, God, we trust you. We trust you. Would you speak to us? Would you lead us? Would you direct us for your glory and our joy? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you to tune in next week as well. Hopefully you're able to join us for our Christmas service that will be online. You'll get uh, details about that on the website, but it'll be on the 23rd at 7 p.m. live, and uh, you won't want to miss that. Uh, we'll also be picking up on Sunday to conclude the Disrupted series, and uh, you won't want to miss that either. So we hope to see you at both. Until then. Thanks, Claude. My name is Meredith, and I'm so thankful that we could be together this morning. I encourage you to stick with us just a little bit longer so that together we can respond and worship through song. Now, it's important to remember that singing is just one of many ways to worship. So don't walk away from our time together feeling like you checked the box and that's it. The Word of God is alive and active, and we can approach this week purposing to worship and to spend time applying the text to our lives. We're really excited for what the Holy Spirit will do in and through you this week. Now, if you're not with us live, but instead you're watching or listening to the message later, you can find the songs we're about to sing on Spotify. Search Centerway Church and look for our Disrupted playlist. You can also look for the video that will be posted on our Facebook page. For those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you live on Facebook or Instagram in a few minutes.